بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الحمد لله we're finally back after last week's cancelled class due to the temporary snow swells and as we announced last week tonight we're going to be covering two of the most beautiful names of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there was something in the previous class that I had alluded to and said that I would be speaking about it in this class and I will speak about this issue before we cover the two names tonight and as we said we are working according to the order of the divine names mentioned in Surah Al-Hashar and from there after we finish those we're going to the order found in the hadith that lists out these names in this order so tonight we're covering the two names As-Salam and Al-Mu'min As-Salam and Al-Mu'min but before that as I mentioned in the previous class, there's something we wanted to address, and that is an area of inquiry or study mentioned by the ulama, and that is the different ways we can categorize the 99 names. So look at it in this way. If you take all of the 99 names, and look at their meanings. What are they pointing to? Can you group them into different groups where they speak about something in common? And the answer is yes. Depending on your frame of reference or your perspective, there's different ways you can organize these 99 names. So I wanted to present some of what has been suggested by the ulama who attempted to organize these names according to theme or general meaning. And this will give us a better understanding of the names that have relationships with the other names, names that are similar in meaning. So categorizing the names, we have very broadly, when you look at the 99 names, you have some of these names which are names of the essence, meaning in their meanings, they are pointing to the divine essence, al-Zatul Aliya, subhanahu wa ta'ala, such as, of course, the name of Allah, but also the name al-Hayy, al-Alim, al-Qadir, al-Qawi, al-Samir, Al-Basir, Al-Khabir, Al-Ali, Al-Aziz, and others. But these names point to the divine essence. Now you'll understand that better when you look at number two. There are certain names which point to divine actions. 
the af'al, such as the name al-khaliq, the creator. That name points to the act of creating. Al-razaq, the provider. That points to the action of providing. Al-tawwab, the one who turns to his servants in repentance and accepts their repentance. That is a divine action. So this is a name that describes the divine action of accepting tawbah. Al-Afu, the pardoner. Al-Ghafur, the forgiver. Al-Rahim. All these names have one thing in common. And that is they are names that describe the actions of Allah Ta'ala that are linked with His will for whom he wills to forgive, or provide, or assist, and so on. Then you have names which point to transcendence. And this is what we were talking about in the previous class, when we were looking at the name Al-Quddus. Al-Quddus is a name pointing to Tanzi, transcendence. Other names include Subuh and As-Salam that we cover tonight. And transcendence, we said, is uh, basically Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being beyond all imperfections and limitations, being free of all flaws and resemblance to creation. Then you have names that point to qualities of glory and majesty. And they don't point to a single meaning, but they point to general majesty, such as Majid, Al-Majid, Al-Hamid, Al-Azim, Al-Samad. And we'll cover the meanings of these names in depth when we get to them. But we see from this list that you can categorize the names in different ways. There's another categorization that we find in the work of Imam Al-Qurtubi, Rahimahullah. In his work on the divine names, he's, he organizes them a little differently. And he lists them out in this order as well. He doesn't follow the hadith in that order. He points out the names, he explains the names that point to the existence of Allah Ta'ala. His wujud. Names that point to his wahdaniya, his oneness. Then he explains the names that point to his transcendence, his tanzeeb. Then he points to the names, or he explains the names that point to his creative power, like al-khaliq. Then he explains the names that point to his Tadbir and tasarruf, or his management in free disposal, meaning his absolute control and power. This is how he organizes the names. So, depending on your frame of reference, you can organize the names in different ways. You could also take the names and point to names that are names of Jalal, of majesty, and names of Jamal, divine beauty. So, a name like Al-Ghafoor, Al-Afu, and so on, uh, these are names of beauty. Be forgiven. Al-Rahim, Al-Rahman, names of beauty. Then you have names of Jalal, of majesty and rigor, such as Al-Azim, 
Al-Mutakabbir, Al-Ali, Al-Qahar, Al-Jabbar. These names are names of majesty. So you can organize them in different ways. <coughs> now, the name we're going to cover tonight, the first of them, is As-Salam. And most of what we said in the previous class about the name Al-Quddus applies here as well. When we talked about transcendence. So if someone asks you, what exactly is this word in English, transcendence? Well, it is the meaning that we express when we say a certain phrase we say every day in salat and outside. Subhanallah, subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhana rabbi al-azim, subhana rabbi al-a'la, subhan, subhanallah. You, that's uh, an expression of transcendence. You are expressing your belief that Allah is transcendent, meaning beyond. To transcend is to go beyond. Beyond imperfections, beyond flaws, beyond mistakes, beyond weaknesses and needs and anything like that. Beyond resemblance to creation. Tadzeeb. So much of what we say regarding Al-Quddus applies to this name as well. Now, here you see it in Arabic, but if I was to ask you, what is the translation of this name, As-Salam, what would you say? The giver of peace. So what does peace have to do with transcendence? You're not wrong, by the way, but that is one view. There's actually two interpretations of what this name means. That's one of them. So you could say the source of peace or the giver of peace, perhaps. But there's a stronger, the stronger view is that it is a name of transcendence. Mm. Right. So salam, as a name of transcendence, we would probably say it means the flawless. The flawless, without flaw. So it is a name of transcendence, like Al-Quddus, the one beyond faults, who is sanctified from the qualities of creation. And as we mentioned, it is said that As-Salam has the meaning of Al-Quddus and vice versa. But when you go online, or you look at these books that explain the 99 names in English, you will often see that translation for As-Salam the source of peace or the giver of peace, something to do with peace. Because when we hear the word salam, outside of any other context, we automatically think of peace. Because we're always saying, as-salamu alaykum. And that salam generally means peace. That's not incorrect. It's one possible meaning, and it's a correct meaning. But the primary meaning is the name of transcendence. The, the other view is that As-Salam, as a divine name, means the one who greets his servants with salutations or gives them well-being. In which case, it's not a name of transcendence, it's a name that points to the divine actions. The action of giving well-being to others. And in order for this to make sense, we have to look at this word salam and coincidentally or not really coincidentally 
For the past few weeks in the Riyadh al-Sadihin dars, we've been reading those chapters that all speak about the narrations concerning the greeting of As-Salamu Alaikum. So we've been hearing a lot about the virtues of giving salams and the etiquette of giving salams. And in the beginning of that kitab in Riyadh al-Sadihin, we explained a little bit about what As-Salamu Alaikum means. Tonight we'll go into even more detail so we can understand better what As-Salamu Alaikum means, but more broadly what does Salam mean and how do those meanings connect to this meaning or to this divine name As-Salam. So Salam comes from the root of Sin, Lam, Mim. You say Salima. And Salima, if you go into the Arabic dictionaries and look up Salima, Sin, Lam, Mim, you will find lots of uh, words deriving from it, and they all indicate something to do with being free of blemish or harm or a means of safety. So Salima means to be free of blemish. That's why we say As-Sala means the flawless, free of blemish, free of flaw. And the plural of salama, of salama is giving a meaning of safety, of security. In Arabic, when you add the tamarabota, salama means to be safe, to be secure, to be protected, right? When you, when you board the airplanes going, when you're boarding those Arab airlines, what do you always hear? No, not that one. That's when you arrive. But when they give you the safety brief, salamatikum, right? Hirsan ala salamatikum, right? They're looking after your safety, right? Your salama. So salama is safety and security, meaning keeping you from suffering from some kind of blemish. And what's the worst blemish? It's injury or death, right? If you look in the Qur'an, you see that Allah Ta'ala calls Jannah Darus Salam. Why is it called Darus Salam? It's not just because there's no fighting and therefore there's peace. It is called Darus Salam because it's free of death. It's free of blemish. It's free of injury, of pain, of suffering. It is the abode of true Salama that does not bring with it any injury, harm, or anything like that. Likewise, you have the word Salim. And Salim means sound. It also means safe or healthy. And Allah Ta'ala mentions this word in the Qur'an as well. يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٌ Speaking about the Day of Judgment, the day on which neither children nor wealth will help one or benefit one. Only the person will, be, will experience safety on that day who comes to Allah with a salim heart. Meaning it is clean, it is purified, it is purified of shirk, of worshipping other than Allah, and then is purified of sins, because no one enters Jannah in a defiled state. 
Even the believers who do sins, those sins are uh, either accounted for or they're forgiven so that when they enter, they're salim, right? So that comes from, from this word too. Salim is being healthy, sound, whole. But you find more interesting connections when you go into the dictionaries. The evergreen tree is called salam in Arabic. It's actually a particular kind of evergreen tree. I don't know exactly what the scientific name would be in English, but there's a kind of evergreen tree that's called salam. And the scholars say that the reason why that evergreen tree is called salam is because it's safe from decay and shedding its leaves in the autumn. So when autumn comes, the leaves of most trees tend to turn yellow, red, brown, and then what happens? They fall off. The evergreen tree, of, or this particular kind of tree, is called salam because that doesn't happen. It remains safe and sound without blemish. Blemish here meaning the decay of the leaves and falling off. Likewise in Arabic, the word for ladder is sullam. Sullam, from the same root letters. Why is a ladder called a sullam? The scholars say that it is called a sullam because it is a means to safety. Now, of course, when you think of a ladder, you're thinking a ladder seems more like a means of danger because you could fall off the ladder, but that's not how they understood it. They would erect ladders over the sides of houses so they could climb onto the top, and then what did they do? They removed the ladder so they're on high ground and no one can climb up and get them. So if, if you had to choose, let's imagine Hashakum, that some bad guy was out to get you. And you have a two-story house and you have stairs. And you also have uh, a flat roof and you have a ladder. Which would you do? Would you go up the stairs and defend yourself on the high ground? Or would you climb the ladder and get on that high ground? Now, if you think about it, if you go up the stairs, who else can go up the stairs? <laughs> the bad guy can also go up the stairs. But if you climb the ladder, and then you pull the ladder up, they're on the ground looking up at you, and you're up in safe territory. They can't harm you. Hence, it's called sullam. It's the means to safety. Now, Ibn al-Mandur, who is known as Ibn al-Mandur al-Ifriqi, was a Tunisian scholar, and he is the author and compiler of a very famous dictionary in Arabic called Lisan al-Arab. Lisan al-Arab in Lisan al-Arab, this dictionary, when he talks about salam, he says salam also refers to a large bucket. Meaning in ancient Arabic, that was a word they would sometimes use for a large bucket. Why would they call a large bucket salam? It is because in the past, people would fetch water using these buckets. And the water is their means to survival. So the tool for salama is given the name salam. Because with water you survive. With water you stay alive. Without water you die. So the bucket that was the means to getting the source of salama was called salam itself. So all of these words have the meaning of safety, protection, well-being, being free of injury, death, decay, uh, blemish law. So 
the name As-Salam can mean as a divine name, the flawless. can also mean the one who gives salama, salama or salam to others. So this is why you have the two different interpretations of it. That brings us, of course, to the phrase that we say every single day. As-salamu alaykum. Now, in, according to the ulama, there's actually a difference of opinion about whether this greeting is a dua or whether it is relaying information. What is the difference? In Arabic, the, the terms in English escape me at the moment, but in Arabic, the terms are insha and khabar, right? And the difference is that uh, if with, with insha, you're basically, you're, maybe you're requesting someone to do something, or you're asking them a question, or you're telling them not to do something. Meaning it is the kind of, or you're making dua, it is the kind of statement to which a person can't tell you you're lying. Right? If I say, if I say to you, Stand up. You wouldn't say, stop lying. Because I'm not giving you information. I'm telling you to do something. If uh, That's called insha. Khabar is just information. Conceivably, the person could be telling the truth or telling a lie. So the question here is, when you say, assalamu alaikum, are you making dua for a person? Or are you just relaying information? If you're making dua for a person, if the salam is a dua, then basically you are saying, may salam, may well-being, wholeness, health, safety be upon you. May you enjoy salam as a dua. If it's not a dua and it's simply relaying information, then when you say assalamu alaikum, you are saying salam is upon you in the sense that I come to you in a state of salam, I don't wish you any harm. I don't wish you any ill. I come to you bearing salam. I'm not going to harm you, hurt you, or anything like that. That's relaying information, right? Which makes it a bit ironic if a person says, Assalamu alaikum, and then they start arguing with someone. But you get the idea that it could be a dua or it could be relaying information. Now, when we say, Assalamu alaikum, as we were talking about in the Riyadh al-Salihin class, very often it just becomes a formula. There is the classic uh, Muslim formula, and that formula is, Assalamu alaikum, wa alaikum salam, how are you, alhamdulillah, how are you, alhamdulillah, and then you do your thing, right? That's the formula. Even online, you're messaging someone, Assalamu uh, alaikum, you don't just go straight to the question. How are you? I'm well. And how are you? I'm well. Now to the point. Right? You're waiting for that. And we have to be mindful of trying to be sincere when we ask those questions or when we say those things. Right? The Sadaf used to say, if you ask someone, Kayfahaluka, how are you? And you don't actually intend to help them or even make dua for them. If they say, I'm not actually doing well, then that's a kind of hypocrisy, right? We often say, how are you, just as a way of getting to what we actually want to talk about, right? Anyhow, assalamu alaikum can be a dua or a statement of fact.
Now, because we said that the divine name As-Salam has the same meaning essentially as Al-Quddus, whatever we said about the name Al-Quddus applies here, being a name of transcendence. And as we've been doing from the beginning, whenever we finish explaining the name, we look at the three levels of ta'alluq, takhalluq, and tahakkuq, of connecting devotionally to the name, cultivating the meaning of the name in our character, and realization, deep experiential realization of the name. So with respect to as the scholars say that you should connect devotionally to this name by turning to him in every matter and submitting to him in everything. Turn to Allah and ask him by his name, As-Salam, for inward and outward salama, well-being, in this life and the next. Religious salama, salama diniya, and salama dunyawiya, worldly well-being as well. So what, and this is coming from the words of Shaykh Ahmad ibn Ajiba, this is from his commentary, and what he is alluding to is the name As-Salam, if we take the meaning of Salama, of well-being, the one who gives well-being, well, you turn to Allah, As-Salam, by asking Him for that Salama. Right? Ya Salam, yani give me Salama, give me well-being in my deen and in my dunya, in this life and in the hereafter. And here He also says, uh, by turning to Him in every matter and submitting to Him in everything. And, and because from this you have, uh, you have istislam, or you have Islam. Right? Islam is from Aslama Yuslimu Islama. And, and that gives the, the meaning of surrender, willing surrender and submission and relegating all matters to your Lord, turning to Him in this way. So that is how you would connect devotionally to the name. So you call upon As-Salam. Ya Salam, give me Salama in dunya and akhirah. And many of our teachers say that when you make du'a for things, it's always good to add at the end, بِخَيْرٍ وَلُطْفٍ وَعَافِيَةٍ right? With goodness, benevolence, and afia, well-being. Right? That's salama, essentially. Salama in this world, salama in the hereafter, salama in our dunya, salama in our deen. Because with salama is afia, is well-being. And that's one of the best things you can ask Allah is well-being in this life and the next. Now cultivation, this is the work part. The first one's dua, turning to Allah. The second one, cultivation, is the work on the self and developing character. Shaykh Ahmed ibn Ajiba says that you should cultivate this name in your character by what? Keeping others safe from your tongue and hand meaning verbal and physical harm. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Al-Muslimu man salima al-Muslimuna min nisanihi wa yadi. The Muslim is the one from whose tongue and hand other Muslims are safe. What's the word used there? Salima. Salima. So the idea is Allah Ta'ala is the one who confers salama Right? And salama means being free of 
flaw or injury or harm. So if you are to be salam as a character trait, you have to work to implement this hadith. Al-Muslim man salim al-Muslimuna lisanihi wa yadihi. The Muslim is the one from whose tongue in hand other Muslims are safe. And lest a person thinks that this doesn't apply to non-Muslims, guess what? It also applies to them as well. Because in another riwayah, the Prophet says, Al-Muslimu man salim al-nasu min lisanihi wa yadihi. The Muslim is the one from whose hand and tongue other people are safe. Right? You know, ordinary people. So it goes to, but min babi awla from you know, the, the added huquq and rights that Muslims have over other Muslims, we say it applies in a, with, with extra emphasis between believers. Tahakkuk, realization. Realization. He says, you will realize this name by constantly having a clean heart and rancor-free breast. And it's salamatul sadr. Right? Salamatul sadr. The sadr is the breast. Think of the heart. Salamatul sadr means you're basically, your heart is clean and you're free of envy, jealousy, rancor, uh, grudges, all of this stuff that weighs us down. That you have that so that you meet Allah Ta'ala with a qalb that is salim, free of sickness, such as malice, hatred, fraudulence, envy, and other blameworthy qualities of character, having replaced them with praiseworthy qualities. So the realization is when uh, we have hearts that are free of all of those negative traits. That's what he's essentially getting at. So this is the name As-Salam, the name of transcendence, uh, or the name referring to Salama, the giver of Salama and well-being. The next name is Al-Mu'min, or as it's read here, Al-Mu'min, according to Warsh and others. Al-Mu'min or Al-Mu'min. And... This name is actually linked with the next name we're covering next week, Al-Muhaymin, such that some ulama say they have the same meaning. But we'll cover just this tonight. Al-Mu'min. How would you translate Al-Mu'min? Now, not looking at it as a divine name, how would you just translate the word Mu'min by itself? The one who has Iman, or a believer, right? The Mu'min, the believer. So, is that how we would translate Al-Mu'min as a divine name? No. That's not how we would translate it. We would translate it as the faithful. That's a better translation. Now, even if you just put the translation next to the Arabic, it, it's still, there's still a bit of confusion. What exactly does that mean? When we say that Allah, the Creator, is the faithful, because in English, faith has certain negative connotations. The idea of believing in something you don't really know. You're just, you have faith, you have blind trust. That's not what it means here. Here, the ulama say that al-mu'min means the one who confirms the truthfulness of his messengers. 
So he confirms their truthfulness by giving them mu'ajizat, miracles. That's one meaning. But the word mu'min, what are the three letter? What's the three letters it comes from? The 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 root word is aman, security, right? So the root of mu'min is from aman, and aman aman in Arabic means security. If I loan you, so if I give you a safety deposit box and I say keep this in your house for a month while I go overseas, what have I given you? An amana. An amana, something for you to keep safe, right? A trust, right? So it is said that mu'min is the one who confirms the messengers, their truthfulness with miracles. It is also said that al-mu'min is the one who grants his servant security from the great terror of the last day. And he gives them aman, gives them aman. So this is the second view. The third view is that al-mu'min is the one who creates security and calm within them. So you, you see here that you could translate al-mu'min in different ways. The grantor of security. That's one possible translation. The confirmer or the one who confirms the veracity of the messengers. Right? When you say... Uh, confirming here, it's confirming that they are speaking the truth. Or the one who gives security and safety. Now, Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, in his commentary on the 99 names, he says, there's no security in the world except that it is derived from intermediaries which he alone creates and guides people to utilize. Thus, he is the absolute faithful one or grantor of security. So, let's, let's see. Let's say you have a farm and you want to guard your farm from predators and marauders. What, what would you put outside of your farmhouse? A fence. What else? A, a guard dog. Maybe floodlights. Maybe other motion detectors. Depends on how paranoid you are. You could put lots of things out there for security. And these things are all for security, but they are all means, right? So read what he says again. There's no security, he says, in this world, except that it comes through intermediaries, wasa'it. So that's the fence, that's the guard dog, that's the floodlights, which he, Allah, alone creates and guides people to utilize. Thus, he is the absolute mu'min, and he is the one who grants security and guides people to the means of that security, right? And that security applies to the physical, it applies to the spiritual, it applies to the security in this life, security in the next. He is al-mu'min. And that's really what there is to say about the meaning of that name. Now, connection, cultivation, and realization, this is where it gets interesting. Because after you know the basic meaning of the name al-mu'min, you actually learn more about it from connection, cultivation, and realization. Uh, Shaykh Ahmed ibn Ajiba, he says, so he's looking at the name based on the two meanings. The name uh, al-mu'min, meaning the one who confirms the truthfulness of the messengers through miracles, 
and al-mu'min as the one who grants security. So he says, insofar as the first meaning of this name is concerned, meaning the one who confirms the truthfulness of his messengers through miracles, you should connect with it by beseeching him to grant you conviction, yaqeen, in him and his divine threats and promises and sure belief in his prophets and messengers and friends. Now we can summarize that in one sentence. You connect devotionally to Allah who is Al-Mu'min by asking him to give you stronger Iman. And that stronger Iman is the certainty and conviction, the belief in him, his messengers, the unseen, his divine promises, his, his divine threats, and all of these things that concern matters of deen. So you turn to Allah, Ya Mu'min, strengthen my Iman. Strengthen my Iman. That is how you, you connect devotionally. He says, insofar as the second meaning of this name is concerned, what's the second meaning? The one who gives security. He says, you should connect with it by seeking security from his chastisement. Through actualizing repentance, repenting, conforming to the sunnah, and abandoning blameworthy innovation, and so on. So in the second meaning, the way you connect devotionally is by saying, Ya Mu'min, grant me security. And it doesn't just mean the physical security. Here, the ultimate security is security from his ghadab and his sakhat, the divine chastisement. And the way you do that is, of course, you turn to him and ask for that protection, that security, but you also take the means. Right? When you ask for security from Allah, from worldly harms, you also take the means to protect yourself from those worldly harms, don't you? Right? You get the fence, you get the floodlights, you get whatever you need to protect your space from intruders. You ultimately trust Allah, but you take those means. Likewise with the matters of the akhirah, when you ask Allah, Ya Mu'min, grant me aman, safety from your chastisement, you also take the means of that safety. What's the means of safety there? Tawbah. It is obedience. It's following the sunnah. It's all of these virtues that we want to inculcate. That, those are the means of aman in matters of the akhirah. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the qualities of the believers and says, those who do not uh, clothe their iman with zulm, with wrongdoing. The Sahaba, when they heard that ayah, they became quite alarmed and they said, Ya Rasulullah, who of us doesn't occasionally wrong himself with sins? And he mentioned, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that the zulm in that ayah is associating partners with Allah. Because Allah says, in the shurka, la zulmun azim, that associating partners with him in worship, worshiping other than him, is the great wrong. And what does Allah say about those who do not clothe their iman with that, that shirk? For them there shall be amen. Amen. This is the, that root word. Security. And they will be the guided.
Now cultivation, this is the work of building character. Shaykh Ahmad ibn Ajiba rahimahullah says, you should cultivate this name al-mu'min in your character by making sure that your trustworthiness is so great and your faith so powerful that no doubt or illusion mixes within your heart. No anxiety or unease descends upon it. And all of creation feels safe from you. For the Prophet ﷺ said, by, by Allah, one does not truly believe if his neighbor does not feel safe from his harm. So that's the work of strengthening the iman and strengthening the character such that people have aman from you because whether you like them or not, you're not going to wrong them. You see, it's not about always being friends with everybody. There's people you can dislike because of their own issues or your issues with them, but it doesn't matter whether you like them or not. You're not going to wrong them. And that's what we always tell newlyweds. The newlywed advice is always this. Why does the Prophet ﷺ give the khutbatul haja, the, the sermon of need, when he would conduct marriages? The khutbatul haja mentions three ayat of Qur'an. The first one addresses the believers and tells them to have taqwa. The second one addresses all of humanity and tells them to have taqwa. The third one addresses the believers and tells them to have taqwa. Why does he mention these three, three verses all counseling taqwa? Because between husband and wife, you know, you have good times and bad times. You know, you have two egos now together. And as Hassan al-Basri said, uh, marry your daughter to someone with taqwa. Because if he loves her, He's going to treat her excellently. And if things don't work out, he's not going to wrong her. Right? And that works on both sides. That if you have taqwa, if that is strengthened, then you're not going to wrong the person even if things don't work out. Even if you don't see the eye to eye, you won't wrong them. That is the protection that others would have from us because of the strength of our own iman. He says you should also cultivate this name in your character by acknowledging every person who conveys to you sincere counsel and informs you of what is in your best interest and what will guide you aright. So this is what the meaning of confirming, right? So if someone gives you nasiha, he's saying that you cultivate the name al-mu'min because one of the meanings is the one who confirms the truthfulness of the messengers by giving them miracles. So if you take that general meaning of confirming the truthfulness of someone else, what that means is to build your character. If someone gives you nasiha, sincere advice, acknowledge it. Right? One of the big problems people have is that they can't take advice. Right? If they're given advice, they feel offended. Uh, if they're given advice, they say, mind your own business. Only God can judge me. Who are you? You know, all these objections. Instead of just saying, maybe the advice doesn't apply 100%. Maybe you don't even agree. But they're giving you what is sincere advice. Acknowledge it. Register it. And if they tell you what's in your best interest, confirm it. Don't, don't allow your pride to deny 
what someone is pointing out to you that you could work on or that would benefit you. That's what he's getting at here. And lastly, realization. He says, uh, the, to the, for the deep realization of the Naaman Mu'min, he says that you see the world and its fleeting nature plainly. Like you see the dunya for what it is, right? Oftentimes we don't really see the dunya for what it is. We project onto the dunya all of our wants and desires and fantasies and what we wish it could be for us. Instead of seeing it for what it is, which is an abode of ghurur, of delusion, of temporary enjoyment. He says that you see the world and its fleeting nature, its, its fania, its ephemeral, when what was once unseen is manifest to you. Meaning your iman is so strong now that the unseen, the ghayb, it's like it is seen to you. This is why Imam Ali radiallahu anhu said that if the unseen realm was unveiled to me, it would not increase me in certainty. Right? What's in my pocket? You are correct. Now, is your certainty increased by seeing the keys? Now, I shook my head, yes, I had keys. But your certainty was increased because you saw them. Imagine how different things would be if our certainty about the unseen was as if we saw it before our very eyes. That's why this is at the stage of realization. This is the top of the three. It's very high. And, you know, here we are, we're going over this. I'm not claiming that I have this. Hasha, but don't have it. But that's the higher reaches. When what was once unseen is manifest to you. It's as if you see it. Not that you actually see it. And the hereafter becomes the now. It's not the akhirah in the sense that it's the end coming forward in the future. It's as if it's now. Meaning, it's so vivid in your heart. The Quranic descriptions of the hereafter are so vivid, it's as if it's now. That is having deep realization of al-mu'min. And it confirming. Confirming to such a degree that it's as if you see it. Right? And he says, and when your truthfulness grows so powerful that you believe what is conventionally impossible. And what does that mean? What, what he's getting at is you don't deem certain things to be far-fetched, right? Things that are possible, that are rationally possible, even if, it seems, even if they seem unlikely, you don't think that they're impossible. Now, what's an example of this? There's a really awesome example given by Imam Ibn Ata'illah in his hikam. In his hikam, he says, if you think that Allah cannot change your bad state into a good state, then you have deemed the power of Allah to be 
weak. Allah has power over all things. That means He has the power to change our darkened hearts and states into enlightened states. That is not difficult for Allah. So you believe what is conventionally impossible to be possible, right? That person who seems like this bitter enemy of Islam, they're so hateful, they're so bad, Allah could open their heart and make them one of the best believers. Has it not happened before? Absolutely. Who are the prime examples of this? The Sahaba, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, right? If you were looking at Umar and didn't know him, you didn't know what's going to happen with him, you just saw his attitude and state in the early days, perhaps you would think, there's no way this person is going to become Muslim. And not only become Muslim, but be, be one of the most ardent defenders of the Prophet But look what happens. In an instant. So that's what he's getting at. That going back to that word, the name Al-Mu'min, the one who confirms the truthfulness of the messengers, the one who grants security and safety, uh, it goes back to that idea of confirming. Right? And this is what he's getting at here. Uh, at the end of his discussion on realization. So that's the end for, for tonight, inshallah. Uh, next week we'll cover Al-Muhaymin, um, perhaps Al-Aziz along with it. So sometimes we'll cover two names, sometimes we'll cover three, sometimes we'll cover just one. And yeah, we'll just we'll keep going, inshallah. And this is lesson five, right? So we're not going to have 99 sessions. No, you never know. But if we're going to cover two names sometimes, three names sometimes, so uh, next week, uh, Al-Muhaymin and perhaps Al-Aziz along with it. Wallahu ta'ala alam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So we can take questions now. If there's any questions about either of these two names. Yeah. Right. So we have the dua that we receive from the Prophet to say after the salah, which is Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta wa ta'alita ya adhal jalali wa ikram. So here we begin the dua by saying Allahumma. What does Allahumma even mean, by the way? By all of your names, exactly. So Allahumma, this humma, the meaning here is, O oh Allah, by all of your names. But notice here you're saying Allahumma anta salam. You are as-salam. And from you comes as-salam. Blessed and most exalted are you, Ya Dhal Jalali wa Ikram, O possessor of might and majesty. Uh, so, this is a way of calling upon Allah Ta'ala by As-Salam. 
Now your question is, uh, what is best? Ah, so in the Arabic language, okay, the word, the part, the ya, the particle ya is what we call nida, vocative. And in the Arabic language, if the munada, the one called, uh, if that name has an edifin lam, the edifin lam is dropped, right? So let me think of an example. Uh, say a person's name is El Walid or Al Hassan, right? Uh, or Al Hussein. These are, these are common names for people that have the Alif Lam. If you address them by saying Ya, so and so, Ya, you don't say Ya Al Hassan. Say Ya Hassan. You drop the Alif in Lam. And the same goes for all of the divine names with the Alif in Lam. So Ya Rahmanu, Ya Rahimu, not Ya Ar Rahman, right? And, and that's just the rule of the Arabic language. Hmm? Yeah, there's no two ta'rif. Because the ya identifies. Yeah. I would like to explore that question in more detail. Would you allow me to begin next week's class with that question? Because I want to do it justice. Uh, the answer is yes and no. It, it kind of depends on a lot of different factors. There's a lot to that answer that needs to be unpacked. So, yeah, you're right though. When you go to this section of of connection, cultivation, realization. Connection, yeah, makes sense. Dora. Cultivation, yeah, I have to work on my character. Realization is like, okay, that's way up there. I, between connection and cultivation, there's a small step, but between cultivation and realization, you see, there's this vast distance. It's like we're sitting here describing the peak of Mount Everest, and we've never been. We're just reading what others have said regarding it, who have been there. That's what we're doing. And we understand the words, but to experience that, that's another thing. Now, what are the things you find in, in the, the works of the scholars describing spirituality? Is that there are many works of the scholars that are descriptive. Descriptive, meaning they are describing the fruits and what is gained through that process, what comes along the path and at the end of the path, is descriptive. Or it's describing the qualities that a person should have. And descriptive works are very valuable, but they're not always prescriptive by, by prescribing, well, what should you do to get there? You have a general idea but some works are more prescriptive, some are more descriptive, and this is very descriptive. It's not prescriptive. So I'll save the rest for next week, inshallah. Okay. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Jazakum Allah, wa'ala khairah.